Hey, welcome to the first episode of Virtually Working. It's the podcast where I interview independent artists and makers experimenting in the emerging field of virtual reality. And in this episode, I talk with Robin Mulder and Chris Castaldi. Robin and Chris make VR together as Three Pound Games, which both publishes titles and has a thriving agency business. We talk about their history and everything from Viewmasters to the experiences they're working on to help habituate users to movement in VR. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Robin. So I thought maybe you could start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and where you came from. Um, That's kind of a long, long question. Um, I actually come from a long history of engineering background, so hardware engineering, and have done software my entire life. I was one of those early people when uh, you did like microcontroller programming and cool stuff like that. So I did a lot of really neat projects early on, uh, such as a um, a Theratech rekindalization system that would, you know, control the motor speeds and like the fluid and stuff like that about like, you know, shoving this tube into your leg so that it could then like rotor rotor out uh, blood clots. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, right. Like I've done some cool stuff like back in my my early engineering days like that. Um, and then, you know, you kind of go around from places to places and do lots of cool stuff. And that sort of led me into this mentality of like not staying at one place is definitely where it's at. Yeah. I love going in, learning all about a domain and then being done and moving on to the next thing. There's nothing more exciting than learning something you know nothing about. Me and my husband moved out here in to Detroit to start up a technology development incubator. We had properties such as Fraunhofer, which was, uh, the property was aluminum foam. Super cool technology. Uh, Unfortunately, back then, nobody cared, which was really bizarre because, you know, I'm thinking if you could put air in aluminum and make it lighter, why wouldn't you stick that in every vehicle ever? Right. Uh, and they thought so, too. So Fraunhofer, you know, they're brilliant. Right. Um, but it just didn't catch on yet. Of course, they're doing it now. Another one we had was um, Wayne State had this great thing, hydrogen fuel cells. That, that sounds neat, <laughs> right? We're like, yeah, this is going to be a huge hit. Oh, my God. And uh, again, nobody cared back then because it was just too early. It, they it was just. We were just a little early in the adoption curve for a couple of these things. So, yeah, we had some other successes and that sort of thing. But those two really always bugged me because, like, you know, I know they're happening today. And it's like, oh, we were just just maybe 10 years too early. (laughs) Right. Well, so you're used to this kind of um, spot to be in, right? Um, Yeah. Given where VR is. Was that the, the, the main appeal of VR, something something brand new? Or was there something else that led you to it? Um, it's a lot of things. I mean, Chris really, uh, was the big driver in introducing me to, to VR. Um, I have always been into anything that messes with your brain. I have, um, I, I have a collection of Viewmasters. I have Viewmaster kits that are the medical binded leather bound. You open them up and it's like <laughs> slices of somebody's arm in a Viewmaster because it was used as a teaching device as well, because, wow, this is cool. I'm getting like stereoscopic view of things. Why wouldn't you do this? Right. So I've always been into that sort of thing. So obviously VR is a perfect fit for me. 
Um, and yeah, and then, hey, it's a new technology. And of course, I want to be involved with that, right? <laughs> well, hold on. I want to hear more about uh, Viewmasters because I know I, I had one as a kid. Um, I really wanted to make Viewmaster Reels. I, I actually had uh, wanted to make my wedding invitation <laughs> uh, a Viewmaster Reel because I thought that would have been the coolest thing ever. But you get into that whole realistic problems of scaling, like, well, what if they don't have a Viewmaster to home? Then I have to sure. ship somebody want, you know, it becomes a big hassle and all that. But I couldn't rely on everyone having a Viewmaster in a house like me. My uh, grandfather actually owned, I have a really old photo that his, uh, his grandmother took uh, the pictures with the old cameras. And they had the camera, just two big lenses right next to each mm -hmm. other. And then you put this fancy thing on that looks like an ancient Viewmaster. And you look and you see double. Yeah, same. Yeah, that's that's the the one that's like just with the, um, uh, it's like a VR box thing, kind of. That yep. one, you know? Yeah. I, old, I, if you ever look up old stereoscopic photos. Yeah, yeah. I, I really love those. I absolutely love those. Um, the guy, um, Brian May, uh, did a book. Let me look this up real quick because I'm trying to remember what it's called. Um, he did a book of those, and I yes. have that book. Oh, uh, Village you do? Lost. Uh, yeah, I do. I don't know why I've never shown it to you. <laughs> um, I guess because we always have something else going on. But a village lost and found, and it is all of those old pictures like that. It's so cool because it even has the little uh, pop-up thing that you can put together and you can look through it. Wow. So Chris, how did you how did you get into all this? How did you become an amazing programmer in Michigan? So I went to college originally for a multimedia degree because I wanted to build video games. You remember those degrees? Sure. Yeah. All those years ago, uh, and then after while I was doing that, um, I had one of my professors who was really obsessed with research, and um, she did a lot of that sort of. What, when gamification was not the buzzword that it is today, it was finally starting to be like, huh, is this how people learn? We can actually use games to get people interested in things and sell them stuff? Tell me more. So it turned to a marketing thing. So I went back and got my master's in basically that for teaching and bringing and taking actual game development and bringing it down to a very simple, easy-to-understand methodology. And then from that, I basically decided I wanted to go teach and help more people do game stuff. I come from a family of hardcore scientists. And when I say that, they're the type of people that laugh at like silly little um, pseudoscientists. Doctors, please, they don't know what they're talking about. You got to be a research scientist. You got to be a nuclear physicist. You got to be an electrical engineer who invented the chip that makes all of the old uh, wireless mobile phones work. That's what I had to compete with. And I want to be the worst person in the world and go get an art degree. <laughs> Within reason. Yes. Terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. How dare I do nothing? I'm going to be poor and destitute. Never going to make a single pet of money in my entire life. And that was basically what I got told throughout my entire school career. So I had a chip on my shoulder to prove that games could be educational and you can learn stuff. So I want to know, why did you choose Detroit? What happened was coming from California, we found that it's kind of nice here and you didn't have to pay for parking everywhere you went <laughs> and you didn't have to sit in traffic for like two hours just to go someplace simple or 
literally, you know, spend 45 minutes in a car just to go to dinner that's right down the street, which is used Harking to have to be. Lots. Yeah, all the time in California. <laughs> you know, we, I, like, when I lived in California, there's so many times that we stayed in because you'd go through that entire calculation of how hungry am I right now and how long <laughs> is it going to take me to get through this entire process before I even get food at the, yes, cool Thai restaurant I really want to go to. But you're like, forget it. You know, I'll just, I'll just eat at home. Who cares? You know, like, well, why do I live in California then? What's the point? Well, so I'm curious with the, the VR stuff, what, what is your internal thinking around how long you want to stick it out for? And where do you see three wow, that games sounds going? So that sounded so bad. Like I didn't, well, I'm, <laughs> I feel like we're all kind of in, a, in a waiting place. Right. So I guess I'm curious, like what you're, as someone who's well, lived through so a couple of these cycles. I will tell you the one of the big things I, st uh, I studied for my master's was um, the technology life cycle. And I had like five courses on basically the technology life cycle and how that equates to everything that works. And while this happened, I, of course, grew up remembering going to use the library index card, and now we use the internet for all that. My grandmother had all the encyclopedias, all 700 of them, <laughs> to go through and find information. And seeing all that type of stuff and that type of technological change, like if we all think about how exciting the iPhone was when it first came out, I still remember I wrote a paper on it that was basically like, this is dumb. Who's going to want to touch their screen? It's, <laughs> you'll get fingerprints all over it. It's such a silly idea. <laughs> well, so you, so, so tell me a little about Three Pound Games and, and kind of the impetus behind it and what, what led you to make these kinds of games. Um, well, three pounds is the weight of the brain. And we had always kind of had in mind that we wanted to do something with uh, education. Because like Chris, you know, I have that same mentality. You could ask people some really bizarre questions. And they will pull some strange knowledge out of weird places. Because, oh, I saw that on TV when I was a kid. I played a video game where I learned how to craft this thing. And that's why I know why the three ingredients are. Because I learned it from something like that. It's always some you know, engaging piece of entertainment. Um, the one that I like to bring up is, remember the movie Silence of the Lambs? Sure. Suddenly, after that movie was a hit... Everyone knew what the word covet meant. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it, like, and I've seen this happen with a bunch of things, like some word comes up and it becomes popular, like, oh, that's just because, you know, like everybody picked it up here. So, you know, it's a powerful medium and VR and, you know, mobile, mobile I thought would be a huge, uh, a, a huge way to get into that stuff too. And that's why we started doing stuff like kid words and little language learning, stuff like that. And we did that for fun. And while we're doing our regular, you know, our... You know, we own our own business, but the business is sort of separated into the like day job side and then the, okay, we're doing this part and in investing and doing something fun. And we were doing mobile. And this has always worked out really well for three pound because we do the fun stuff over there and invest in the fun stuff. You know, eventually we're doing business mobile applications, right? And we've done plenty of those as well. So it always pays off from a business standpoint, but it's really fun for us and rewarding for us to go off and, and build these things and get the enjoyment of, of shipping things that we really believe in. Um, when we saw that mobile was kind of turning into a mess, it was kind of the perfect time to pivot to VR because we all fell in love with it, for one thing. 
And for another thing, it's obviously the even better, the next step of what's like really going to be truly engaging is to truly have all of your attention. Like now on mobile, you don't even like little kids are like watching TV and sitting there on their phone playing a game while they're watching TV. They're, you know, you're always splitting your attention. You put that headset on, though, I got you. You're in here. Well, so how is the VR business in 2018? I had hoped that by this point in VR, the VR cycle, that we would be shifting quickly now. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe next year. It's just lopsided right now. Right. We're doing some VR business. We're doing some Unity uh, development stuff, some training stuff. There's a variety of things that are going on that, that's actually working on that side. I feel like maybe we have another year or two before it becomes sustainable. And that's the torture part that we're all in with VR. It's, it's, I've seen companies, like, like you said, it's that sort of I've seen a lot of companies trying really hard and falling apart because you can't stick it out long enough. Well, and the other thing I find companies doing is that they're seeing it as a shiny coin rather than an actual solution. And we yeah, find this with yeah. AR all the time. Like when Apple announced their big AR thing, I think it was two years ago, it was like, oh, we got to do AR. It's so amazing. It's so great. It can recognize a floor. And I'm like, I could do this four years ago. So I'm interested in... Um, it seems like Robin, you you have always been extremely hands on your whole career, and at this point, um, was there a conscious decision to make three pound games the size it is to keep that going? Because I can imagine a parallel universe where you're a CTO and you hire people and you delegate and you bring on more work and create like a like a larger factory system or a bigger agency model. What what was exciting about keeping it the size it is and um, why you decided to do that? Um, it's kind of a, a necessity. I, I fit a lot of little roles that don't make sense to outsource. And by doing those roles, it means that I can stay more in touch with the project. Um, I've seen, like, the only reason I ever got into management at all is because when I was a young engineer, I would see who was running the projects, and they often didn't understand <laughs> anything that was going on. And that's really frustrating because you're like, do, do you even know what we're building? Like, right. yeah. you know, you can see the look on people's faces as they're flabbergasted as the guy comes around. And he's like, well, what percentage done are you on your task? You're like, do you, do you know what I do here? Do you, do, uh, you know, you know, so, so I never wanted to be that person. Right. And, and so when I started kind of like, okay, I got to get these people out of the way because they're frustrating the whole team or whatever. So I started stepping up and taking these things over. I felt that it was important to stay connected with the projects and not be that guy. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You know, and I, I've caught myself doing it a couple of times where I've kind of been a little more hands off on a project and you're you're lost you're just like i don't know where anybody's at with anything because i'm not involved and uh, i'm asking so where are you at with this project and you're like oh god no so yeah yeah i mean the the disadvantages of course is that i am time spliced to death yeah but but if you you could ask me anything about any of our projects and i can tell you exactly what's going on so you know it's (laughs) good and bad i guess so you guys have been working on a project called VR Sea Legs. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so VR Sea Legs is 
basically designed around trying to help the adoption and retention issues that are surrounding the, you know, well, any VR headset really. Um, and primarily that is about seasickness, about simulator sickness. So we're trying to do it through habituation and getting users just used to being in there. We found that when you put a user in, you're all excited. You're like, oh, you should try out Space Dragon, our game. And you put them in there, and on Space Dragon, it's pretty good. But still, they're overwhelmed. There's so many buttons. What am I going to do? What am I doing? Am I flying? Oh, my God, right? Um, and that's not a good experience. And even worse, if you put them in something like that's really hardcore shooting and moving and something like that because you're excited because you're an old pro and they're not there yet. And I've actually had people rip the headset off before and just say like, ah, VR is not for me. I can't do this. Mm. You're like, you, you just got to stick it out. Right. So the whole premise is, you know, basically if you, you just keep, just keep staying in there um, and, you know, we'll slowly take you through this stuff. So we kind of worked out this entire learning beats thing. We start you off with teleport because it's totally easy. It's simple. And now I got you in VR. Great. Now I got you doing a few little tasks. Hey, let's let's you know learn how to interact with a watch thing. Let's do a touch interact. Let's go over here do a couple teleports. Let's learn quick turn. Now we're gonna learn how to do putting some stuff together like a basic craft sort of thing. Cool, I did that. Go through a little uh, teleport situation transporter. Okay, now I'm going into a robot body. Now I'm gonna learn a different movement system, which is a really gentle hand guided movement system, which is one of Chris's magical movement systems and take you through that process. And now we're going to get you to do a little more crafting and a little dialogue interaction, maybe like a little heavier duty crafting sort of thing. And then we'll get you up to the portal room where you find out that your task is that you have to save the world kind of thing. Um, you have to go collect power sources from all the different worlds because a bad accident happened at a lab. And as you go through each portal, you're getting dropped into a new body. You, the only reason you can do this is because you're a digital being mm -hmm. and you can drop into other bodies in these other worlds. And when you're there, you have to move like that character. You have to use their body mechanics, which means you might be flying or you might be using stick movement, like a really quick move thing, or you, know, or you might be doing like a grab move or something like that. So it's kind of an opportunity for the player to go in and learn how all these different movement types of systems work so that they're prepared for anybody else's app. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I, I remember having to buy like 10 titles to experience all the different flavors of movement. Right, and, uh, right. This, this would have been a lot cheaper. <laughs> and more yeah, fun. right. And then you would know, you'd know what you'd like too, because you might be like, oh my God, I super love flying in VR. Like you wouldn't know that. <laughs> So now you could go out and start looking for flying games. So that's definitely our goal in that is there's a lot of there's a lot of layers of goals is definitely to help users kind of with the habituation issue and the whole simulator sickness, but then also from a training perspective and just getting used to all these things that us developers take for granted. Like we all assume that everyone knows how to walk over to a character and talk to an NPC. Mm -hmm. That is not true in VR. Yeah, because in VR, we have those users who just bought VR because they thought like, oh, I'm going to look at 360 videos and maybe I'll explore some of those games. But, you know, they're more about the experience. They have no gaming experience. And these controllers are very confusing to them. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys are solving a, a real problem with VR and I'm excited to give it a shot. And I think that's just about all the time we have. Thank you guys so much for, for talking with me. I really appreciate it. 
Awesome. Thanks, Max. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. Uh, Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Virtually Working. Uh, We'll be back soon with more innovators and creators. And until then, you can tweet me with your ideas for a sign-off catchphrase, because honestly, this is all I've got.